Hi, I'm Liam O'Rourke, and I woke up this Wednesday morning to some horrible news. News that will be heard around the world for years to come. Baron Corbin is out of Survivor Series? Now how am I going to find out what his mouth belly was thankful for this Thanksgiving? I'm Carl Jones, coming to you live thanks to Tin Cups from a bunker for the next four years. If someone could bring me some tins of beans and an electric blanket, I'd really appreciate it. I didn't really pack too well. And I'm Kieran O'Rourke. And some of you out there are probably still wondering, possibly, why I call myself the Wrestling Prophet. And you want to know why? Because 100 quid, 11 to 2 on Donald Trump made me a very happy boy. This is the panel for episode 103 of Squared Circle Gazette Radio, and you can hear us talk about feuds and storylines that went off a cliff... next. Welcome to episode 103 of Squared Circle Gazette Radio. I am Liam O'Rourke alongside Carl Jones. There's a draft in this bunker. And Kieran O'Rourke. Tell your sister to close her legs. <laughs> and we are back this week live from the bunker here at Squared Circle Gazette Radio uh, to talk about feuds and storylines that fell off a cliff, gentlemen. Uh, we threw this one out to the loyal listeners on Facebook and on the forums, obviously. Very self-explanatory topic here today. Uh, getting people's thoughts on uh, the feuds and storylines that uh, at one point had potential or were going quite well. And then at one pivotal moment, uh, everything kind of went downhill and went sour and kind of left everybody with a, uh, the sour taste in their mouth. Uh, and that's what we're here to talk about today. We have a litany of different storylines, feuds and angles to talk about. Uh, before we get to that, though, a quick programming note for next week. Uh, we are returning to the anchor of Squared Circle Gazette Radio. It is indeed the Monday Night War timeline. Uh, we're going to be covering November of 1998 next week on the podcast. As always, we'll have notes uh, from the Wrestling Observer newsletters of the time. And if you haven't heard any of our previous uh, timeline shows, you can go and listen to them at squaredcirclegazette.com where we archive every show. And again, don't forget, folks, in two weeks we're going to be talking about the death of TNA. But uh, getting to these uh, different angles and storylines today here, gentlemen, any kind of commonalities that uh, you think are going to pop up here? That's kind of what I'm interested to see is if is it going to be, you know, moments of just booking stupidity, changes in directions, nepotism, politics, all, uh, all the stuff we love pro wrestling for? If we go off stuff that were initially we liked and then got repulsed, thinking it's going to be a lot of variations on the baby face looking like a douche and not backing up and people losing uh, faith in the baby yes, face. Yes. Interesting. Okay. I'm actually just quite curious to see from a from a listener's standpoint where our disagreements may come in in, in the sense of storylines that they liked that fell off a cliff and ones that we potentially maybe thought were just terrible to begin with <laughs> just to see if, just see if there's any of those trends there and, and vice versa maybe yeah. maybe we'll find out through feedback after the show that they'll if there's any we suggest where they'll think god that no that was just terrible to begin with yeah Oh, very interesting. So we've got plenty to get through here. And we're going to get to one of the ones first. It seems like one of the biggest ones. It's honestly the one that came to my mind first when I pitched this one out on the forums. Uh, Tiger Rick on the UK fan forums says, The first one to jump out at me was The Nexus. Uh, incredible angle to start their story and decent follow-up to the build to the SummerSlam 7-on-7, seven seven, whereupon they were taken apart handily and were never as interesting again. The angle had a flicker of life when Cena had to join The Nexus, but much like Daniel Bryan joining the Wyatts or CM Punk leaving with a WWE title, nothing remotely interesting came of it. Such a massive missed opportunity they'll have to wait years now to do an NWO style angle. They had one, they had interest and intrigue, and they blew it. They blew it! 
Uh, Slicky Tricky Damon on TPWW forum says, The storyline started with a great moment with the former NXT winner Wade Barrett leading his former opponents down to the ring to destroy Cena, Punk, and everyone else, including Mr. King. Uh, the story was that they were upset that the former NXT show was nothing but humiliation and they'd had enough. Daniel Bryan spit on John Cena and got immortal by choking uh, former WWE announcer Justin Roberts with a tie. Sadly, this meant the end of Daniel Bryan's involvement with the storyline, which seriously undercut its potential. Daniel was also sadly fired because of Mattel or something. Uh, the Nexus will continue on, but the problems kept coming. They attacked superstars and legends alike. Uh, Steamboat would then be attacked by the Nexus, and he would suffer a brain aneurysm later that night. The Nexus suffered major injuries too, with Skip Sheffield had to skip off to feed himself more hospital food with a serious ankle injury. And he'd stayed that way. <laughs> the feud had its biggest hurdle at SummerSlam 2010. The Nexus was defeated by Team WWE. Uh, bad timing indeed. Nexus would lose that match because Cena wanted to single-handedly eliminate the final two Nexus members, uh, Gabriel and Barrett, against the advice of Jericho and Edge. This is what got me out of the story almost entirely. Probably was the same for everyone else because of how it all changed up after this match. The story continued, but they just dropped off. The story just became about Wade Barrett trying and failing to be WWE Champion. The We Are One's story about it being about the collective was dropped quickly and it all became about Barrett, which is the final death knell in the original Nexus. Wade would fail to get the title in two matches and then would literally be buried under many chairs uh, against John Cena at TLC 2010. This legacy of failure was later resolved and fixed with The Shield. The Nexus was an idea to get younger talent over but The Shield was the ultimate example and uh, Stuart Civiter on the Facebook page also says this one, you had Nexus as this badass stable destroying everyone until they actually had a match. Then at SummerSlam, John Cena ruined the entire angle by going over on Nexus. After that, you had a chance to build to Cena versus Barrett at mainly for the title. Survivor Series should have been Barrett beating Orton for the title, for then Cena to win the Rumble and meet at Mania 27, but instead, Orton won, Cena beat Barrett in a short match at TLC. So Nexus, coming up. I thought this was inevitable, I think, to come up today. Yeah, it was not the first or second I thought I'm just going to revise actually what I said about faces losing uh, momentum in this case I'm just going to go yeah in retrospect I'm going going to go with the wrong people winning at the wrong time because yeah the Danielson thing with him going down getting fired um, yeah took some of the steam some of the st- took some of the stank off it uh, personally but in terms of an overall angle it was yeah getting how can you lose your first big, big match like that yeah done after that done dead Move That's on. The blow off. Move on. That's exactly. The blow off. I, I, I just and that era, the scene. That's a lot of the Cena always having to win at that period of time was mm. a lot of the resentment on him. Um, fed a lot of the resentment I felt towards him. It was so, it was so different to start with, and then boom, yeah, boom, dead. Who cares? Yeah. Move on. Their job is now. Yeah. Um, Once that was established, they did that great match on Raw where they had like those like the, the precursor to the, the SummerSlam seven on seven, where they just went like seven nothing on a bunch of jobbers. They just blitzed them, and they looked great. It's like this. Um, it wasn't perfect up to SummerSlam. Don't get me wrong. There were still flaws and there were still foibles. Yeah, I didn't exactly like them running away from Mark Henry and Wade Barrett lapping him. That's not that famous clip. But so, you know, when, when the the jobbers are kind of running them off, that's one of those things that you don't really like to see. But up to SummerSlam, it was still it was still on course, and then yeah, I'm, I'm kind of in agreement with the uh, with the feedback there again. Just that, uh, yeah, yeah, who cares? Once yeah. it's once it's done, I mean that's why they changed it, I guess, ultimately to Wade Barrett and, and tried to make it about him, to try and make at least one star. But any promotion of any feud is built on the hyperbole of these two forces colliding, whatever the context is. And when something is high, it's because it's believable and it's people can't get behind it or t- t- take something that's different, not not their normal what their normal fodder their 
drip fed and and that was for one week that felt well a couple of weeks it felt different but as soon as you expose that you can't hype up i mean hyperbole is, hyperbole is nothing if you, people can see straight through it and when you job someone out so quickly like the, the, in a different way goldberg in when he in his wf run it's like okay that he he looked great at it was at the elimination chamber whatever the fuck yeah, it was yeah yeah but the damage has all been done by then yeah it's like you've got to you, Rusev another one he's super hot you know and then okay he loses a match wins and losses don't matter yes they fucking do yeah it's everything look and, at the difference yeah. before and after and if you, you for as much as they talk shit about a whole bunch of things the fundamentals of wrestling if you build up two people and you build them up to fight each other if you weaken one of them and completely piss over your promotion you can't build it back up after that it's no. so hard yeah. to your point Liam there, there were things that weren't perfect prior to SummerSlam and I think the the involvement of of Brett is always something that sort of stuck out a bit with me as something that didn't didn't fit the picture yeah. it, it, in many respects. Um, I, th- I think the part of the problem you have is you, uh, Kieran mentioned about sort of the the unstoppable force and, and and that sort of thing, and and you're right in the sense that SummerSlam is the, is the perfect time to put the exclamation mark on that when and, and have them have them triumph over the baby faces. And at least then it sort of arrests sort of the doubt in a fan's mind of this is just a bunch of bad guys playing the numbers game. Because we talk about them sort of dominating a bunch of jobbers, but when it comes to sort of the stars, whether it's Cena, Punk, what have you, you know, it's always numbers weighted in their favour. So you have a chance to get away from that a bit at SummerSlam and just to to emphasise how much of a threat they really are that when, you know, when the playing field's even... They still come out on top. Jesus Christ! What the hell are you going to do with with the pissed off you know, young bloods who are just going to take the promotion by storm? Whereas instead, the way the way the way you have everything that transpires at SummerSlam, it reinforces that old nar- sort of negative narrative of, oh right, so they're not this unstoppable force. They're your typical Disguise. faction or stable of heels that can get one over the baby faces when the numbers are on their side but when it comes down to it when it when it comes to the, you know to the big game in town they uh they fold like a cheap tent <laughs> very good very good that that feels apropos and it's, it's one of those just curious things when you look at the landscape like god they actually got this stable with Heath Slater, Michael Tarver and Michael David Tarver. Otunga to where people really wanted these guys to win and it's like yeah I, I don't know how much uh, long-term main event potential there was for any of those individuals outside of the Nexus angle, but uh, probably not. And it, and it Barrett, could... I thought, had, had a chance, but um, I tend to think he had he had less less of a chance than a lot of people do. No, maybe long-term, I think you could have rehabilitated him. But I think even even to your point, <coughs> the way they tried to at least make it about him. Um, following on from that and at least get one star out of it by that point to me my perception maybe people disagree by that point it's not that he's above the rest of them necessarily so much as it's he's just the figurehead of the losers that can't get it done in the big match yeah yeah pretty much and that's factor in the fact that they ultimately deemed Miz a hotter heel and gave him the belt instead of Wade Barrett so 
Yeah. <laughs> Let's move along now. Gay as Fook on the UK fan form says, I'll go for Triple H's return as a whole. Uh, Triple H was my guy when I got into wrestling in 2000, so I was pumped beyond belief right through that run of Desire videos they did for him. Uh, his return was just incredible. I think maybe the first of its kind, insofar as he was the biggest heel in the business when he left, and it was just an automatic character switch when he came back because of the crowd reaction. The kind of stuff that constantly happens nowadays. Honestly, as an 11 year old, high as shit on my 2 litre bottle of raw coke, I nearly shat it when they got to that Triple H Returns next graphic. The whole road leading to Wrestlemania from there was a sorry mess. Uh, <laughs> as it became less about Jericho vs Triple H and more about Stephanie vs Triple H with their dog Lucy playing the Dominic Mysterio role. <laughs> Jericho also plays into all this of course being booked as a sort of underwhelming champion we constantly get once the belts were split. Uh, the match was underwhelming. Triple H drops the belt to Hogan at Backlash. Ugh. As a nothing summer, shines again as a villain in his anger with pal Sean for being awarded the Raw belt and going on his big fat purple trunks Ripple H year of infamy. <laughs> uh, I'm getting ahead of myself because that encompasses plenty of other storylines that couldn't even stick their Kevin Nash of a pickaxe into the base of a cliff. But yeah, Triple H's return fell off a cliff for him. Well... I don't think anyone who's listened to any of these uh, of our uh, timeline uh, shows should be surprised when say that's because Triple H is a fucking terrible babyface. Awful, awful babyface. It was yeah, it was a stupendous pop. It was MSG. Mm-hmm. He's been a long time heel. People like to see and was stars always booked, return. Was always booked as the heel who got one up on pretty much everybody, and very rarely was outdone. And so this is the guy that you know they were kind of, and they were prepping for a babyface turn anyway. It was it was it was right place, right time. But again, the longevity of Triple H in that role always gets exposed. I think. Well, you're absolutely right, and, and it's not as if there were there wasn't precedent for it already. He, at least to to me, he was a terrible babyface in DX. I was sort of well the the, the is he the. Is it being too cruel to say he's the most uninteresting person in DX as a babyface group? Ooh. Possibly hard to say when that involves Billy Gunn and China as well. However, China was unique at the time, and people thought Billy Gunn could be something one day, even if they were wrong, but he was the best pure athlete in the WWF, Carl. <laughs> pound for pound. Pound for pound. That being said, so, so there, were, there were warning signs prior to all this. Um, it's, it's a... It's a this is one of those that falls into that category. It's difficult for me to say the whole thing fell off a cliff because I'm. I'd at least want to see a bit more of a trend than that. What first night back? As something that was actually on a cliff in the first place. Yeah, it's something that that has a sort of a, a general trajectory and is going well for a few weeks at least before it knows. But it was New York, Carl. They're they're in the avant-garde of turning folk. How about? However, the uh, if you recall, I think I remember this going fairly well at the time. The uh, the slow burn to the Triple H Stephanie uh, blow up at the, the the wedding is that just my my fond memories, nostalgic memories, telling me that that went well and the crowd liked the uh, him him pedigreeing Vince. It, the crowd liked him pedigreeing Vince. I'm not going to dispute that, but I I just I had no interest in the in the in the build up to their breakup and even. Even less interest when Jericho became the manservant. That's well, that's the key. I mean, that's, yeah. that's what it really. But the, the, the combination of Jericho as the manservant, yeah, you, you the Hogan the match, which was just a fucking disaster <laughs> in the build-up, and then after that, that one at uh, King of the Ring with Undertaker, oh. which, oof, <laughs> oof. Yeah, I, I think by that point it's it's not falling off the cliff. It's you know, 
it's like Wiley e. Coyote. It's it's already it's already hit the floor, and whatever was on the cliff behind it is now falling. To the <laughs> <ground>. <laughs> yeah, so uh, that, that anvil is on its way. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, I, I guess a, a vote of confidence around this table for Triple H's return once so promising and that's the thing too with Triple H is a babyface who's actually been thinking about it. ever since he'd been a heel and, and changed the perception of him pretty much it's like well when he's a, a babyface now because he's so much better now than he was before he will probably be very good in this role now because the people seem to like him they certainly did on that return but that whole thing of the we haven't seen you in a while pop mm. yeah. I remember when Piper, Piper uh, yeah watching all takes Piper in, uh, when he came back I mean, even before, like when, when he came back after Mania 2 in the Mr. T uh, fight, came back before WrestleMania 3 after he'd been away for the summer, and people went fucking crazy for Piper. And there is a. And it worked uh, for Piper, don't get me wrong. I'm not saying oh, yeah, oh yeah, of course. I think it's, it's, it's worth remembering the context of the time as well. It, it's that pop of it's, it's, great to, you know, it's great to see this person back. There's, although it's you know we're, we're talking less than a candy year, there's almost a sort of nostalgic element to it in the, in the sense of the because things have gotten a lot <laughs> worse in the previous year since it's, well, it's exactly, exactly. Which, which gets to my wider point of how stale and horrible the company felt going through the invasion and even more coming out of the invasion yeah. post invasion when boss man makes a return <laughs> to the main event mix <laughs> Let's move on here to uh, the main event mix in TNA. Oh, Ugh. sorry, Tom Campbell on the Facebook page is the person oh, to blame Tom. for this. We love you, Tom. I don't. Uh, <laughs> uh, Kurt Angle and Samoa Joe back for TNA was blue tinted awkwardness. All you needed to do was give Angle and Joe three matches over three pay per views, let them wrestle their faces off, and trade wins. When Kurt Angle won all the belts in the freaking company in one match with Samoa Joe, with Karen watching on, uh, that was when it all went a bit Pete Tong. He says. Uh, shortly after that, despite being basically the champion of all things, Angle's star power waned. He was like a flower that had somehow lost its luster. If only there's an appropriate horticultural metaphor I could use, but nothing's coming to mind right now. Jazzy Jeffers on the UK fan film actually says a lot of Samoa Joe stuff in TNA. The nation of violence gets kidnapped by the guys and bundled into the back of the van, disappears for a couple of weeks and turns up looking like he fell asleep at a party with a penis drawn on his face <laughs> and carries on lost in the mid-card. Never really gets much of a push. Then one week he's back to normal as though it's never happened. Conveniently enough, after Hogan had left. <laughs> Plus that 18-month and beaten run just after he came into TNA, he's built up as an all-conquering monster only for him to job clean to Kurt Angle on his debut. Nothing against Angle, but they could have put him over somebody else and built to the match with Joe over time and people would have been chomping at the bit to see it irony of that is of the TNA effect is normally when you bury you know uh, when you uh, plant something in shit it actually does grow but in TNA you go there <laughs> it never does it just dies it just dies I'm kind of I can see what he means because there was there was a, a I'm, I'm not see the thing is here the whole I'm not really sure whether the it was on the cliff to fall off comes. If it's talking about Samoa Joe, I guess it, both of them, isn't it? Samoa Joe's run up to that point, undefeated, the, the, the next great hope, I think we were hoping he was going to be the champion by Bound for Glory that year, and he wasn't. Um, took him like two more years. And then Angle coming in from the WWF, and like the, the idea of both of them together, and they go into this feud, and it means so little in two months' time when Kurt Angle kind of freak, you know, turns heel, kind of, and then attacks Samoa Joe's girlfriend, we assume, we don't really know who she is. And then I think Don West got put in the ankle lock, and I'm sure boy a tear to your eye, Carl. Oh yeah. <laughs> Ironically enough, the only time that Don West couldn't do a hard sell. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so I see what he means, and it was one of those ones where it really I was before that first Angle Joe match. I wasn't really sure what the right outcome was. I'm still not really sure what the right outcome was. I think the problem with it is 
the burning through it so quick. Yeah. How can some how can something be so grandiose yeah. if you burn out burn it out twice in two months or whatever it is? Yeah. And um, it, they, did, they, did, they actually did do it for three months after, and then they, they did one. They did the first one, which was like thirteen minutes, and they did the better one at turning point. Then they did like a thirty minute Iron Man match, and then they came back to it two months later with the match Tom's talking about there, where. All the belts in the whole company, including the tag belts, are on the line in this singles match between Angle and Joe. So what's that? Four matches in four months. Four matches in about six months. For a company that's not hot in the first place, you know, maybe use a few to heat it up before you pay it off. No anticipation. I mean, no anticipation or anything. It's just two sides to it. Though. I mean, being TNA, if you left it, okay, say you set not even a year, say six months before you're going to do the first match, you're going to build to it. You don't want trust TNA. TNA would you blame TNA what, for trust, what, not what trust damage, themselves? Yeah, what damage are they going to do in the process? Yeah. Um, so in reality, if you, you pace it out a bit more, it may have died a different death anyway. So Possibly. In, in that case, it, it, it could have been uh, death by a thousand cuts sort of thing. Um, it, it is that blown through nature that sort of jumps out at me in the first instance. So it's, especially when you think angle because although Joe had been undefeated he I don't want to say he was on the way and that's saying too much but they were clearly running out of ideas about how to keep Joe's momentum going hence things like the Monsters Ball match uh, the fans revenge with Jarrett <coughs> yeah they were they were they were scrambling um, you know imagine that TNA's creative <laughs> was, scram- yeah. was scrambling to try and maintain interest in Joe so obviously Angle comes along they do the alt- altercation at is it Bound for Glory where they have the their uh, sort of head to head? No, that's the okay, so the go home show for Bound for Glory. The last like ten minutes of that show was like the most major league TNA ever felt at that point. Where Angle debuts, headbutts Joe, Joe gets up. They do the pull apart and then they play like a like a montage of Jericho's enemy music video. They did a great music video. It was the go home thing for, for Bound for Glory because TNA TNA is just screaming. You gotta watch Bound for Glory on Sundays. They're pulling Joe and uh, Angle apart. It's like. This looks. This is great. Well, at the same time, when they actually did that angle, and you read the spoilers, that they went straight to Angle and Joe, and they started just killing each other immediately with headbutts and all this. And it's like it's great. I'm sure it's going to be exhilarating to watch, but it just feels so fast. There's anticipation. Well, it's, it, it's so rushed, almost compounded by the fact the first match only goes 13 minutes. Talk about blowing through something. Yeah. To then revisit and revisit the following month. I, I mean, Kieran. Kieran's probably right in the, and, and who are we to doubt uh, his prophetic nature these days? No one, motherfucker. They probably would have screwed it up anyway if they'd left it too long. But sort of logic almost dictates to you. You've you've got to give this chance because you've got to just have Angle kill kill a few nobodies in the process to to go back to that idea of immovable object and irresistible irresistible force, force uh, meeting the immovable object. Thank you. I'm sure someone could uh, channel Gorilla Monsoon in that one. Um, yeah, you know, to, to like the kisser. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, to to build that nation. So maybe if they'd even just left it, maybe three months, it, it would have had a better feel. Have it up I, yeah. Again, again, you you do keep coming back to that. And not that that's a way to book. <laughs> no, no, not like I say. It's sort of you know booking 101 and logic tells you you give it a chance to breathe and build up the anticipation. It's because we're talking about talking about it in the context of TNA and their track record and you can clearly see why they rush through it so quickly in the end it's that notion of Jesus Christ we've done Joe and Angle we've done 75,000 domestic buys for a pay-per-view <laughs> 60 wasn't it I thought I think it was 60 I thought it was 60 50 or 60 by TNA standards <laughs> oh it's like a million yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I've seen it short term gains and 
coming out of it okay going in you've got Joe's your established star Angle's the world famous star you thought oh, maybe as well you just keep them separate for a little bit just to build up Joe to Angle's level perception it's, it, it should raise his his prestige bringing Angle in but it didn't it just it brought Angle down to his life and it, Angle's probably always going to get brought down anyway but at least you, ultimately yeah you're probably right but I think you still at least do your best trying to trying to put Joe on that on that pedestal alongside him before you do the first match it's oh wow Joe's undefeated us and he's been running Kurt Angle let's throw it against the wall straight away oh, nah. well yeah that's it <laughs> <laughs> that's, that was the adrenaline flush from Liam there um, you just think that if, if you're going to rush to do something quickly when it comes to Angle in, in the context of TNA you think I just have him come in and kill Jarrett get the belt <laughs> get the strap on him straight he away too while he's there by the way yeah well, to have him kill those two guys, then you come up against you know the guy who's been running a tear through the company for a good year, and the promos write themselves for Joe. Mm -hmm. Where's where's my title opportunity? Look at what I've just done to Jarrett in that fans' revenge match. But Angle gets the strap. You know, it, it just makes sense. It's not that hard, people. <laughs> okay, very good question. If you are given the edict, Booker Man, to uh, to decide the outcome of that first match, if they if, if they're so hell bent on. Uh, rushing through and doing it when they did, what was the right result? Joe, Joe over. Joe first. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Very because because it's not your typical your typical thing. You're bringing in a new guy, so you don't want a, the new guy to lose straight away. But he's not a new guy to your territory or company. It's Kurt Angle who's above your guy. So fuck, they have a great match and Joe beats him. And okay, the, okay, the mentality will be that's going to weaken the hot commodity you just brought in. But in reality, it didn't make it, okay, hindsight didn't make a difference anyway. So you try your best and you make the story interesting. Like, what was the fucking story? Who cares? They oh, just they just had a bunch of matches. So yeah, put Joe over first and, and shit. Kurt's got something to chase then. Yeah. And then you didn't do the second match for six months, a year's time, or whatever. And hopefully, well, okay, you, you're risking weakening Kurt. Happened anyway, so it doesn't matter. And hopefully, you got Joe means more coming out of it as well. But yeah, oh well. You can even play off the idea and. I'm loath it. Having done the review the other week, which please go back and listen to, by the way, we've been a lot of yeah. good feedback on the review <laughs> on the, our last episode. I, I generally sort of wince at the mention of other companies. We all know what happened in New York. Yeah. <laughs> we all know what happened in New York. I'm still waiting for that phone call. Um, Sean Steeter, by the way, is recording this conversation. So you know, come on. All right. You don't have to say WWE or WWF by name when it comes to Angle. You can have Joe win the first match. You can have Joe cut a promo. Just alluding to this notion of, you know, you Olympic gold medalist, world champion, and you came down here, or, or, or however, you, however you want to phrase it, thinking that you were just going to steamroll everyone. Well, round here, I'm the man, and I proved it. And I steamroll and, everyone. Yeah, and I proved it at the pay per view when I kicked your ass. Yeah. It can then light a fire under Angle, and you go from there. Yeah. Like you say, is it going to be perfect? Probably not. Does it run the risk of devaluing Dangle? Yes, but you, you go, but ultimately you go to that match. Yeah, yeah, you go to that match straight away. Though you're devaluing someone coming out of it. Yeah, you have to. Yeah, there's no other result. Mm. Um, moving on now to uh, another one that uh, one man got devalued in the in the uh, 
current and aftermath of the feud. Inexorable Journey on WrestlingForum.com says the return of Matt Hardy for WWE. Edge was in the midst of a major push. Matt was previously released uh, after releasing various tweets about how Adam Copeland had abused his trust and slept with the love of his life and the woman he was going to marry, Amy Dumas. More importantly, where does the entity come into all this? <laughs> That's to come, Carl. Uh, Matt got huge sympathy. Edge and Lita got real life fire on TV and the whole audience dynamic changed. Matt was brought back to WWE to fight Edge and at least got some outward semblance of righteous justice. And then the matches took place and they were underwhelming. Edge was still being pushed and Matt looked uh, looked lucky to even have a job, being rewarded months later with a losing streak gimmick. No wonder Matt Hardy got broken. <laughs> <laughs> and number one WWF fan on the TPWW form also says Matt Hardy vs Edge feud after Matt got fired. They managed to do a great job of blowing the line. Granted, once they made the match it was going to be tough to keep that ambiguity going, uh, but it just went from being white hot to fizzling out so quickly. Not just the storyline, but Matt's momentum in general. Yeah, um, this is one of those I have difficulty with because I never really cared about the premise of the feud itself. You know, it, it just I, I, no, I, I, I don't mind. I don't. I don't mean to sound dismissive. I, I genuinely don't. But it's just that sense of, I, you know, yes, I was aware of what was what was going on outside of you know the program and that sort of thing. But, but I but I wasn't that interested in in Hardy getting revenge. In, in the sort of sporting wrestling context of, you know, for, for his girlfriend cheating, which it's it's not it's not a storyline that just generally as a premise appeals to me. So, <laughs> um, that being said, I, I can you know, I'll readily admit that there was goodwill towards Matt Hardy. I, I don't know if, if numbers bore anything out, Lee, and you might have a better idea than, no. about than me. No, they didn't. But at, <laughs> least, but at least I suppose there was some energy when it comes to your live audiences with, with this sort of thing. And, yeah, they did blow that away in much the same way that Lita does a AAA locker room. But, <laughs> oh, Carl. Oh, oh, that's considered below the belt. Yes. Quite literally, in her case. <laughs> <laughs> um... Again, it, it, it falls. Christmas cracker near you. <laughs> oh yeah. Um, it's about the only time I ever pull anything. <laughs> You're on fire. <laughs> I hope not. This bunker's not going to last much longer. I think it's, it's, like, it's like the angst of his of his dream woman, Hillary Clinton, losing it. It's kind of fired him up a bit. Oh, so none of you think power is sexy? <laughs> they rushed through the, the matches very quickly, in a similar vein to to Joe and Angle, and. The way the feud ended just sort of sums it up for me. You know, the the loser leaves Raw because it, it's that prestigious that the loser leaves a brand. You know, such such is the blood feud that it ends with. I believe it was a ladder match, wasn't yeah. it? It's a ladder match. Matt Hardy's tied up in the ropes with later grabbing onto his arms and legs in a crucifix motion whilst Edge gets the gets the Duke. I will say though on this one I remember there's a couple of moments because I was a big believer in the concept I thought okay Matt Hardy had all that sympathy I hated Edge at the time I thought that he I, was I, I vividly remember I just thought this is a guy that's being pushed and isn't good he's not being good he's not good enough in the role he was being pushed and he wasn't getting over the heel I thought he was underwhelming and I think he was underwhelming until this funnily enough I, I thought this was the thing that lit a fire under him and made him significantly better and um I just remember thinking this is going to be great when Matt comes back and they do the angle. It looks like it's a shoot, I suppose, with all the uh, you know, with the Ring of Honor reference and all that stuff. And then I remember when Vince did the angle where he had the major announcement, and Kieran, me and you were hoping that it was going to be Brock Lesnar coming back because there was rumors about him coming back at the same time. 
and then Matt Hardy gets out of Vince's limo and he's like shrugging his shoulders up and down like a fucking idiot and it's like you can almost and, and then just cuts a promo that just bombs live and you, you can just like see like Vince's respect wither from his eyes uh, so that's why she cheated on you yeah <laughs> that's why and then remember they did the match at SummerSlam first where Edge just fucking annihilated him and beat him in an effort to get heat but it killed the crowd and killed the feud for a while and it's just like again it's just that thing of, th- th- there is something people want out of this and I appreciate the idea of trying to drag it out and trying to get the most out of it but it's just not hitting what people want moving along now to another one that got a good few nominations Mr. Scorpio on the F4B board says Curse Angle versus Triple H in the Love Triangle uh, we all know what should have happened uh, what the fans wanted to see in this story until Triple H farted in Angle's face <laughs> Uh, what makes it more absurd was Stephanie was managing Angle the following month anyway when he challenged The Rock for the title and the feud was revived for the Royal Rumble although it was not nearly as heated. Probably just a coincidence that ratings began to dip around this time. Uh, Supremo on the UK fan form says the love triangle with Angle, Triple H and Stephanie. Genuinely some of the best TV they've ever done. A proper soap opera storyline that built perfectly only for Stephanie to stupidly pick Triple H unforgiven and kill the Angle dead. In no other form of entertainment would such a storyline end so abruptly and in such a jarring, unsatisfying manner. And uh, Tony Pulis's cap on the Pro Wrestling Only says the love triangle is a great shout. It may not have been to everybody's taste, but it was fantastic soap opera. As it's wrestling, it was campy and over the top at times, but it managed to play off real emotions and got to the point where the crowd was on Triple H's side, even though he'd been the number one heel in the company for the past ten months or so. Everyone saw Angle as this guy trying to have an affair with his wife. They'd even, whether intentional or not, set the table way back in December of 99 when Steph was looking out for curse when Triple H kept trying to end his unbeaten streak in little backstage bits where they were really subtle about things. There were lots of twists and turns which were able to be weaved into wider storylines involving the title and where you could identify with what was going on. It also worked in that you had lots of other characters involved that were coming in and out of the story with people like Foley, Trish, Lisa, Vince, Shane, The Rock, The Hardys and Jericho all playing a part. Indeed, it had all been built so well that at Unforgiven 2000 it really should have been an intense grudge match where Stephanie turns on Triple H and joins Kurt who then becomes an incredibly hot heel to feud with a face Triple H which the fans were ready to jump on board with. Of course, none of that ever happened and the angle fizzled out to where Steph ended up managing Angle when he won the title but not for very long and she was back with Triple H by the end of the year. Massively disappointing he says. I wholeheartedly agree. Uh, it, it was a again going back to that notion of sort of storylines aren't necessarily catered to my taste that does kind of fall in, into this category but but I can't dispute that for at least for a, a few weeks, it was it was brilliantly done. The, the crowd were were ready for the for the, the Triple H turn in the in the process of this story. And he had he had garnered a lot of sympathy. Of course, he sort of he got his boo boo face, and he or, or sort of saw the writing on the wall, if you, if you will, because he knew Austin was coming back, and he knew the return of Austin at, at best. He's going to be number three babyface. So. Hence the, hence the contrived uh, nature of the way it ends. Now, am I right in thinking, Liam? Correct me if I'm wrong. The intention w- was to go with Stephanie turning on Triple H. That was the plan, wasn't it? Yes, indeed. Yeah. At, at this point, Vince hadn't completely lost uh, lost sense of things. No, that was the idea. And you can, that's the thing. You've always been able to tell. They clearly wanted to do that, and that's why they had Steph manage Angle the next, you know, the next month. Anyway, after, he, after she kicked him in the balls, unforgiven, I'll be a manager now. And, and you know, they, they did all that great stuff yeah, after SummerSlam, where right before SummerSlam, where Angle kisses her on the Go Home mm-hmm. Show on SmackDown, and they've been. And I'm watching that stuff back now, the Angle Stephanie stuff, and it's so well done. 
Angle's so great in his role. Triple H as, as the pissed off jealous boyfriend is great. Stephanie is as utterly insufferable as she is on television these days. Has that kind of kind of cute, that sweetness to it. Goats around. Confused nature. Yeah. Foley's hamming it up. There's, there's lots of great stuff involved in this. And oh, then, the, the old uh, Shane landed right on his kisser at SummerSlam. <laughs> <laughs> that whole thing. And then yeah, you get the uh, the whole situation afterwards where Unforgiven, the match just it just peters out. The crowd's dead for that match, if I remember correctly. And uh, and yeah, the aftermath it, it just it sucked. But you can tell that's what they wanted to do. They kept they kept in that direction for the short term until it eventually just all went up in flames. Well, that's it. The, the, the crowd during that match, they're, they're essentially waiting for the payoff. Aren't they? They're waiting for the for the turn, and for the for the storyline to effectively end, just with Triple H and Angle both in heaps on the mat and Triple H sort of out of breath pointing it's him or me and she just goes and kicks Angle in the nuts Yeah, to have such a, a sort of a blunt way of ending then he grabs the her and kisses her to prove he's a real man mm. did you grab her by the pussy? <laughs> <laughs> should have done she wouldn't have wondered if he had done start with <laughs> it felt like you were sort of just being repeatedly slapped in the face didn't it, it was a sense of oh, I'm going to manage Kurt now and oh but now we're going to bring Trish in and really your champion again is sort of the fourth or fifth wheel in a storyline that involves Triple H, Stephanie, Trish and Vince. Mm. How long was it before <laughs> Trips was heel again? So he he was kind of pseudo babyface in this match with Angle. He did a, he did another feud for one month with Benoit, and then it was, he was revealed to be the mastermind behind the uh, hit and run of Steve Austin, ready for Survivor Series, which did a very poor buy rate. Well, that's the that's a, the, the other curious thing to me. If they'd have gone through with their arranged plan, who was supposed to be the big reveal for Austin? They or, had no or, fucking. Or, or were they literally going to go with? Like a not not so much a pseudo babyface run for a couple months, but a genuine babyface run for six weeks before he turned. The only reason I ask is because so is that telling? Did they have any plans at that point for him to turn him face, or was it literally just something to play pseudo face, tick over until? I have read recently that the that they believed that the crowd was going to side with Angle at first. Mm. They thought that because he was so he was so goofy and so funny. They thought the crowd was going to side with Angle, and because they thought they had so much heat on Triple H, and Steph was so yeah, was hated. They thought that because Angle's going to be breaking them up, the crowd's going to go with Angle. And instead, they all went with Triple H because he's the he's the guy who's he's having his relationship fucked with. So the sympathy, if there was any, was with Trips. They all felt Trips was right that Angle's being the snake here, as funny as he was in the role. So I don't. I think that yeah, they, part of the reason was Triple H never had, had designs on being a heel, mm-hmm. any, on being babyface anyway. I mean, was it one of those things where it was just supposed to be an amusing Vince and uh, Austin again with Kurt? Just yeah, just some throwaway. Just yeah, just of. something just to take over time and fill some shows, and it actually got over. So the consequence was you got to actually make a leap and turn one of them. Yeah, right, to get a conclusion. Otherwise, actually, we didn't plan going this far. Yeah, and they always back themselves into the corner. <laughs> Everything's got out of control. Yeah, it's like they always planned to put her with him, and it's like, oh, we, we almost got to a stage where we've got to kind of do some kind of payoff with the, with, with the low blow, or whatever. But it wasn't. Yeah, it's almost like they backed themselves into having to do something, but when they never really intended to, it was just going to trickle over. Triple H had no desire to change his position whatsoever. Yeah. So there you go. 
Uh, no, no one ever said he wasn't smart. Well, no, absolutely not. Uh, moving on to a couple more current ones now. Savio on TPWW form says, Miz and Sandow. It fell apart right at WrestleMania. Sandow turned on Miz because he didn't want a double-team big show in a battle royal. What sense does that make? Honestly, I don't understand the logic behind that unless Sandow is just a huge pussy. Uh, Chief of the Lynch Mob on WrestlingForum.com says the same feud. Sandow was excellent during this period, getting to be one of the most entertaining parts of the show. Miz also did fantastically well in getting Sandow over, uh, as over as he was. Pretty much everyone was buying into it, and when Sandow eliminated Miz from the Battle Royal at Mania, getting one of the biggest pops of the night, Miz and Sandow could have had a big blow-off match at a pay-per-view. Instead, they had Sandow pretty much embarrassed by Miz and Summer Rae. Uh, Miz beat Sandow on a TV episode of Raw, and that was pretty much that. The management of the rivalry between the two after Mania was horrible, and it never really felt like it reached a conclusion. Miz and Sandow falling off a cliff. It did have momentum there for a while. It didn't have momentum. It did. It didn't have momentum. Momentum is going somewhere. It peaked and it reached its level as a mid-card entertainment. I'm uh, not act. saying that there was a momentum. A where, was, of... where was it going? It was. It where was, was always... Sandow? Where was Sandow ever going? It was always going to be a low-card deal. Don't yeah. get me wrong. I'm not saying that. However, for a low-card feud, they did drop it out. It wasn't a feud. It wasn't even a feud. It was a little. It was a. It was an act. It was a mid-card act. The two of them together it wasn't. As soon as they split them up, the, oh, the it was act. Dead. The, we knew it. We, 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 we wasn't. Probably said it on this show. It, well, there wasn't a feud. It, well, it was an act, and you broke it up, and that was okay. That's yeah. over, and that's the reality of that situation because Sandow is nothing more than that. And it's Aaron Rex in TNA. <laughs> whatever that means, I don't know. What <laughs> He's means. awful. Cool. And yeah, and Miz, he was. Well, thankfully, Miz has actually gone up a level since. Miz then. is fantastic. Miz is the best. Miz ever. has been fantastic for a long time now. I'm all on board with Miz. Carl, your thoughts here? I know that you're... Uh, not, none of us around the table are particularly big Sandow fans, to be honest, and that may skew our judgement on this one. Um, but fans always seem to pop in a lower-card way, like we say, for Sandow's uh, stunt-double shtick. Outside, I mean, what, what's, what's Sandow going to do once that's finished? Is he going to beat the Miz and go on to higher things? Doing what? You know, I, I never really saw that much in Sandow beyond a low-card actor anyway. Um, Miz I always saw more in, and, and, and they did too. Yeah, I... I think in, in terms of if, if you're gonna, and I've I've bemoaned the the Miz countless times on this podcast. But that being said, you're absolutely right in the context of who do you go forward with in any sort of meaningful way or at least attempt to. It has to be the Miz, because it's it's Sandow doing the Miz's shtick. He's the Miz lackey, and once you put that once you put that ceiling on him, and let's be brutally honest. Damien Sandow didn't have a particularly high ceiling in the first place. Yeah, I, I enjoyed his you know, intellectual saviour of the masses. I got a bit of a kick out of it, but sort of for what it was, never expected it to be anything more than really low-hanging fruit. But but as as a whole, this this storyline that I'm I'm kind of in, in Kieran's camp in the sense of it's so it's in many respects it's such a non-entity. It's it's so <coughs> insignificant and inconsequential, and I I don't. When, when I and maybe maybe this is me being too harsh with the notion of momentum, I think momentum. I think, I think your top level programs where you can actually do something, where 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 you can do something in a meaningful way, whether it's get someone over, whether it's get a big buy rate, or, you know, things in that context. So when it comes to something like this, and I just think, you know, we talk about falling off a cliff. It's you know, it's more like a spoil mound. It was. Just, I, th- I thought it was. It was. It was mildly entertaining for a bit. Oh yeah, yeah. Don't get me wrong. I, I, I found it. Mildly, I found it humorous. Couple, but... The first couple of times, but like, 
everyone else in the world, hopefully, or maybe not. I th- it was stale and dead fucking ages before they sp- they split. It was, anyway. it was. It was. It was a dead. It was a dead stick before Mania. I thought anyway. So it was. It was almost like they kind of they, they held it off and were trying to get it for this peak that they never even bothered trying to get it to anyway. I think the thing is too. This was during that period where the three-hour roars opened up a lot of time for stuff like this, and the reason people had higher beliefs of what this could be is because they did dedicate fucking ages to this. And they did spotlight this for a long time, and that's why people have these ideas that, well, Again. surely they're building it up for something. Again, you've got to show something on camera when you've got three fucking hours to film. Yes, so. indeed. Yeah. Uh, another one that's a bit more uh, recent here. Fanny Pack on the UK fan form says, I'm going for that Vince Shane storyline from this year's Mania. Basically, that bloody lockbox and Vince saying fuck in that great promo with Shane. It felt massive at the time to me anyway. I thought, this is it. Vince is finally taking a backseat and letting Shane run the show. I even went so far as to put 40 quid on Shane to beat Taker at Mania. Absolute idiot, I know, he says. Uh, my reasoning was that there was no chance, no chance in hell, no chance in hell in the cell, that they would bring Shane back for this epic storyline just to lose to Taker, and that's exactly what happened. Uh, the following week's Raw, sorry, the following week on Raw, the next day, Vince came out and said, you know what, Shane, you can run Raw. It was just awful, made zero sense, and amounted to fuck all. Bloody lockboxes. Also, just for Carl to sink his teeth into, the Kane burlap sack storyline, which was Ray's mask in a bag. <laughs> Shite. Remember that's like 2008? I think it was in the aftermath of one of the, uh, the, 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 the Kieran, you're looking at a complete puzzlement on your face. It was after one of the, uh, the, the drafts they did. It was around the time when Punk won the world title for the first time. You mean one of those drafts that wasn't actually a draft and it was just a computer generator? Yeah, yeah. That's the one. Yeah, well, that's all that needs to be covered on that last uh, sentence in the paragraph. Um, this, this Shane storyline. It's the hardest man in the world, Carl. Apparently so. The, 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 the idea is, I suppose, or, or the thought process is that this storyline falls off the cliff after he loses to Taker and Vince just puts him in charge of Raw anyway. I'm guessing that's the general idea. To me, I, I, I didn't. It's not that I found the build so confusing, but it was just the notion of, okay, Shane's back. He's got a great pop. They've announced Taker in a cell. Okay, Undertaker's just agreed to this. No, all, all, all of a sudden, all of a sudden, Taker's Vince's bitch lackey. He's the promoter of the show. Put anyone in match he wants. Yeah, but he's supposed to. You know, Taker's supposed to be the sort of entity, entity of another world. Vince is the higher power. I see, what, I see what he did there. Yeah. Um, I, I suppose I. It just sort of petered out for me in the sense of I. I wasn't interested in seeing. Take a Shane at Mania, um, particularly because I'd, I'd, by that point I'd not—I didn't really have any interest in seeing Taker at Mania anymore. Um, so that harmed it for me. Uh, that being said, I did still find it kind of insulting that with what they did on Raw that night after Mania. Yeah, are you gonna go this far? Yeah. Just, just, just piss it away anyway yeah I, I, I just it was a match that was intriguing on paper because you just wanted to see what the finish would be where they would go yeah and then they went with element of curiosity didn't they and then they went with the fairly obvious takers just beat him which I, I didn't oppose particularly although it did kind of just shit on the entire premise of well now you're stuck with the shit old show because Shane's been buried which they told us over and over yeah, and over yeah, again it's a shit show and Shane needs to change it Shane loses and then he changes it anyway and boy, are you enjoying that Smackdown Live now, folks? Uh, anyway, so yeah. I, I, can, I, I see the point with this one, even though it never really struck me. Yeah, I never, like Carl, I just no interest in seeing checking the match. Which, <coughs> the build 
not the build the vignettes the, Shane training that's right Jesus Christ that's fantastic he's, you know, obviously first of all he's in great shape yeah he's working ass off track he's out of training I don't want to see fucking non-wrestlers presented as that kind of a threat it's yeah. a fucking phenomenal build but not for that guy no. it should be the Lesnar challenger which they kind of have done with Goldberg actually haven't they a couple yeah, of years yeah. but it's we type video on there yeah I don't want to that's um, where was I? I think they had to try and do something, something like that to kind of pose him as some kind of threat. Yeah, I get, I, I get the concept. And then he was losing. I get the con. Yeah, I get the, the concept of it, but it's. I don't want to see it waste on him. And then, but that's the whole thing that they present him as this almost legendary wrestler from the past. I know. It's like I've never it, seen them. Sorry. It was more when he was getting chokes land on stairs and no selling them. Though I was a bit more offended. Eight minutes into a match, uh, Grishin on the UK fan form says the summer of punk in two thousand and eleven. Yes. What should have been the anti-establishment hero taking on corporate WWE and Vincent Trips disappeared into a fegway of Kevin Nash, stolen mobile phones, punk pollution to Triple H and the only one-on-one match they had on pay-per-view, an utterly nonsensical running from Miz and R-Truth, and a blistering promo followed by that match versus Cena was undone in mere weeks. No wonder he couldn't be asked anymore. Dude Life on the FOW board says Punk was a revelation and it wasn't just him. The whole angle was absolutely genius. Clicked perfectly and had elements that would have deepened every character involved and totally revitalised the promotion as a whole. Watching this three week sequence of angles back now, it's unbelievable not only how hot it was, but also how genuinely good it was in terms of storytelling, character development and dramatic structure. This is by far the best this business has been since the early 2000s and they managed to absolutely destroy it in three weeks. Lust Hogan on Pro Wrestling Only says, after the bomb promo and the Money in the Bank match people were genuinely hooked and he was getting mainstream attention with various articles from lapsed fans that are big names outside the industry uh, WWE rushed it and put Punk back on the roster rather than keeping him an outsider holding the title hostage and then had Triple H be the guy to beat him Mick Price on the Facebook page says the Summer of Punk was won because it went from the pipe bomb uh, to the awesome money in the back match to the overly quick return of Punk after a TV tournament won by Rey Mysterio, then John Cena, then to a unification match at SummerSlam, which then begat Kevin Nash interfering and into the Triple H Nash sledgehammer ladder match mess at TLC. It just seems so bad to take a great piece of promo and match work and just drag it into something completely different. It just went from something that captivated the audience and transformed it into a standard WWE angle. Steve Bachenik on the Facebook page says, My vote is for CM Punk leaving the WWE with the title. The angle was red hot. They had a blank slate to take it anywhere. Have him show up at press conferences, conventions, TV shows, Make-A-Wish events, sporting events, indie shows, hell, even little Timmy's seventh birthday party, and you have news. They could have done anything. Damn, even I can figure this out, and I'm a moron. So what do they do? Bring him back the next week and kill any momentum they could have had. The angry Scotsman on the F4D board says, Rarely has a storyline gone from this blisteringly hot to ice train cold into such a swift period of time. The pipe bomb promo that kicked it all off, regardless of how you want to, of how much you want to believe Punk was given free reign to say what he wanted, was phenomenal. Passionate, perfectly fitting to the man delivering it, honest and most of all real. It doesn't matter whether it was or not, it felt real at the time to a disenfranchised fan base who were desperately looking for something to cling onto. The red hot angle led to one of the best nights in recent WWE history. Money in the Bank had one of the great matches in WWE history, a true five star classic with a rabid home crowd baying for blood, an iconic win as Punk fled into the crowd with a WWE title blowing a kiss goodbye to Vinnie Mac on the way. The next few days were electric. Where would he show up? Would he go to Ring of Honor and New Japan as he had threatened? His reign as champ travelling between promotions while WWE crowned a new paper champion was mouth-watering. He even showed up and announced the WWE panel at the Comic Con to trade bars with corporate douchebag Paul Levesque. It was beyond cool as a wrestling fan who had been bored for the product for so long. How did they pay this off? 
One, he showed up on Raw the next week with a new theme song, his free agent status lasting eight days. Two, dropped the belt to Del Rio within a month. Three, pinned by corporate douchebag Paul Levesque. Four, he was jobbed out to Kevin fucking Nash, a man who was jobbing to his own quads. Now, of course, they gave him the belt back at Survivor Series and gave him one of the longest reigns of the last 15 years, all the while letting him play second fiddle to other feuds while he defended the championship in the semi-main event position. Regardless of how you feel about CM Punk... Kieran. Uh, he was on the verge of becoming something unique and possibly becoming a breakout star. And for two or three months after that initial burst of fan baiting orgasmic hope, they did everything they could to beat him down and put him firmly back in his place. Over to you, fellas. <laughs> this was I, this is the first one I thought of. It was the first one that uh, that sprung to mind actually. Um, but I feel I'll I'll let my colleague in the prosecution have the first take on this one. <laughs> um. Yeah, I agree. I fucking loved this angle when he went down. Up till Money in the Bank and just... Uh, it was different. It was so different to anything else we'd you know, come to expect in our mundane rinse, repeat fucking TV wrestling. And this shit and the concept of him being the champion and leaving and popping up all over the shop... At Cubs games or whatever, just holding the belt, holding the belt. Just uh, this should have gone on for at least two months, three months. Just popping longer. Even when he was signed, you sign him. You could fucking six months of that contract should have been him on fucking coming up ways to do things to get publicity. The shit that gets over from popping up and letting people like snowball it because it's it's you know it's their thing to showcase whatever. Um, this was the people would have done the promotion for you on this one and all you had to do was subtly prod it along without it being so fucking obvious that it's uh, as a work and they ended up doing the worst thing possible and he comes back after a week and then Big Kev gets involved and <laughs> yeah well it's, well it's done then but yeah everything involved I mean as, as soon as that one as soon as he returns the, the, the second week the, the stuff with Ray was terrible the unification thing we've seen are fucking atrocious it, the concept was dead then they just mishandled it for me but he shouldn't have returned so quick anyway that was yeah yeah and I was a huge summer of punk fan people yeah absolutely the, we were, everybody was on board with this. Yeah. this this is one again like you said one of the more obvious ones in the sense of uh, uh, there wasn't anybody that was talked to that wasn't captivated just because it was that the even it wasn't really truly new ground being broken it was the concept of we haven't seen anything like this in years and that there was potential to do things that hadn't been done yeah. before. When it, when the circumstances were such that it was believable, he was leaving. Everyone, everyone believed in punk. Part of the thing, a lot of it. exactly. The belief and part of my angst towards him was the fact that he himself saw the money and, and resigned and just went along. But he was in the position of power. He doesn't fucking anything at that point. Um, I'm guessing though he probably resigned. When he, it, he signed right at money, in the, right before money in the bank. Even so, even so, you could say he's got all the trump cards. You don't return so quickly. He should have stood up for himself. He's, he likes to fucking pout about standing up and talking shit. Well, you didn't do it, did you, punk? Part of what made it so awesome, people genuinely believed that he was frustrated. They heard for months that he was leaving when his contract was up. Mm -hmm. They made it a, a TV thing. 
it, there was no word that he was, you know, even right till the day of the show no one knew if he was leaving everyone's assumed he's it's losing horrible. and it's, it is literally a once in a lifetime opportunity to do it you couldn't do it again you can't go back to this angle yeah. you, had, you can't replicate it you people had have tried all the cards are on the table there is no competition you can sign a guy and not have him you can have him walk around the company going on indie shows that you're banning from TV and from tape because they're not sanctioned to have your title belt on there. This you could do what they could have done anything they wanted to. The world was their oyster, and they just pissed it away within a week, and then because they need uh, made them and, for SummerSlam, and then, and then sh- just shit on it further. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. To, to the point, the angry Scots were made. I think he, he's probably a bit more generous to to sort of the momentum of the feud than than I think we are around this table. I think I think we have a general consensus that it that it. Dies pretty much as soon as he comes back after after a three week absence. It wasn't three weeks? It was eight days. Eight, no, but, but wasn't he wasn't he officially off? No. No. Got him eight days. No, it was a week. Eight it days. Really, yeah. It really was that quick. The next the next day they do the tournament where Ray Ray well, wins the belt and Vincent Man cries well, and, Ray, and, and Triple H excuses him from his position and says, "I love you, Pop." Is the one who's adrenaline oh, flushes for you? Oh God! And Vince is wearing that horrible <laughs> pink suit. <laughs> that's right, that's oh, right. it's all coming back to me now. God, I didn't realise the time span was so quick. It's like the Shane thing all over again. Um, th- there is there is a, a great amount of interest, at least amongst us wrestling fans. I'm not sure how much it really moved the needle initially, or, or how hot how sort of hot it was from a from a business standpoint. But it, it at least pricked everyone's interest. Outside wrestling fans were all talking about it. There was a a, a, a bit of excitement, at, le- at least amongst the the hardcore fan base, which, you know, if nothing else, is at least an encouraging sign considering the general malaise we all we were all <laughs> under at the time. Um, and you, you you at least get a bit of an encouraging sense from it all when he does appear. At a couple of indie events, and he does appear at Comic Con some, you know, in a sort of a, a gate crashing capacity. You, you just get that sense of, oh wow, they, you know, because I think by that point we'd all assumed he'd, he'd resigned, but it, you know, otherwise they wouldn't be putting this sort of stuff on TV, and they wouldn't be talking about it if he hadn't. But at least you got the sense of, well, at least you know, if they're going about this all in the right way, you know, this. This is what you do. You have him seem as some sort of a, a renegade still. The way you, the way that you played him up with the pipe bomb and all that sort of thing. But really, the sort of the, the worrying signs are, are there the next night, then aren't they? On Raw, as soon as after you've made such a big deal about the notion of him walking out with the belt, and Vince in a in a panic at the end of the pay per view, to then just the next night go, well, we're just going to do a tournament, and that's going to be our recognised champion. By that point. Well, you're already, you're already diluting the storyline to a point. You're maybe not necessarily damaging him, but you're making the belt seem even less significant than it than it already was. Yeah. So I have no problem. And, with, sorry, go on. no, no, go ahead. No, I, was, I have no problem with creating a new champion straight away because that's what they fucking do. If like, if anything, their business goes in the direction they're not in control, they just they, they'll they'll drop and change and name a new champion and we'll move in a new direction. We'll never talk about it again. And they could have done something like that. It was the concept of this was so hot, which was so intriguing. Okay, and you, well, to me, you can you could do that, but could you not? Maybe if it's maybe if it, even if it does come across as a bit contrived, could you at least not have the notion of? Well, hold on, we've had sort of. X, Y, Z, whatever legal injunction filed against us against CM Punk because he won the belt, so this shouldn't be allowed to happen. You can have Vince tearing his hair out a bit before you 
you get to before you get to any sort of tournament, you know, playing up that idea that that Punk has all the cards. A couple of weeks of uh, of, of nothing but kind of news updates, and we're, we're, yeah, we're trying to negotiate with him. Or? I know. I wouldn't. Yeah. Even, I wouldn't know. I wouldn't over, overtly mention his name at all because that's a clear indicator that it's an angle. It's and it doesn't matter that we all know it's an angle by that point. Well, a lot of us know. A lot of people didn't wouldn't have known. But just don't give us anything. The authenticity. So you look at the the, the actual pr- the Pipe Brom promo, but it was context and it was believability which pulled it off. Mm. It was like he's saying something that we know we've come to learn that he really feels this way. Yeah. It's not super scary for me. Watching it's 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 believability and context, and obviously his delivery is great. But um, and that's what he shot by returning a week later. That's why for me it was all gone because it was, you had this chance to do a believable angle, which is once in a lifetime chance to do with a guy. And the believability of it is dead a week later because the, the believability stemmed from Punk. And uh, cool. And he's, getting, he's, he's, yeah. he's got a new contract. He's got a new theme. As, as much and, and as much as I hate the Triple H stuff and and, the, and and Nash's involvement, you know, where you've gone from sort of this idea of a cool renegade to oh look, I'm going to bury Nash by referring to a text message my sister sent me. And start talking about Super Shredder and all and all that bollocks. By that point, it's and how long did it take for Kevin Nash to say back in '96 and me and yeah. Scott Hall? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there we go. So I think yeah, it's it's already stalled and, and failed in any meaningful way before Nash even gets there. But again, much like the the contrived nature of Stephanie as the manager for Kurt, by that point it's just sort of. You know, it's rubbing salt into the wounds because it's just manifests itself into the, the Triple H Nash feud that nobody wanted to see back in 2003 <laughs> <laughs> let alone years later even and, and even then you know, just to go even further you've got the belt on Del Rio and Miz and R-Truth I've beaten CM Punk with the awesome, move, the awesome <laughs> truth <laughs> the move named Little Jimmy's Finale cool yeah um, <laughs> It wasn't even that. It's just it, second week. It's it devolves and it's just a wrestling angle, just, oh, yeah, just I, a wrestling I, thing. No, it's I, a I, shit. I, I I agree completely. I, I'm I'm not disputing that. It's just people rightly point to how how awful the Nash and Triple H stuff is, and I agree with them 100. percent I just think, much like yourself, once he comes back, it all doesn't matter anyway. Yeah. It, it's just it, it emphasizes the points. The damage is done. It's just emphasising the point by that by that stage. And just to compound things as well, by this point we've had a lot of fucking Cena one week U turns yeah. on these real serious angles that's happened when he joined the Nexus for a week. Was it some bullshit? Whatever yeah, it was. Yeah. And then another nonsensical point, just quickly. What sort of baby face is John Cena to take advantage of Rey Mysterio who's won the belt in a tournament? <laughs> <laughs> Am I the only one who gives a shit about the rules? <laughs> Also, I mean, the thing to me was it was just it was it was it was alarming to see just how steep the fall off the cliff was. Because when when SummerSlam happened, it's the unification, and yeah, we know that they've lost the the real gist of this. And we come on, Liam, retell the story of us watching this together with a certain group of wrestling fans, (laughs) all good friends of ours. So we're watching SummerSlam, the unification, Punk versus Cena, and the match is, is building up to its crescendo. And of course, because we're watching it on an illegal stream, <laughs> which, no, which no one told us was going to be the case before we went. Yeah, we had no idea it was an illegal stream, so don't sue us, Jerry. Anyway, so as as, as the match is building to its crescendo, the illegal stream cuts out. 
we're kind of we're wondering what the fuck's going on. The illegal stream comes back, and Del Rio's holding the belt. The, uh, the content is saying, "What the hell was Kevin Nash doing here?" <laughs> like, what is this show? Well, this wasn't the same show we were just watching, was it? This is insane. And everybody else was so enthused that Kevin Nash was involved, and I was like, "What is wrong with you people?" If I remember rightly, didn't we just sort of look at each other? Yeah, me and you with the two in the room that's looked across the room with this kind of, "Oh dear, oh, it's not going to go well." Harmonic Generator on the UK fan forum mentions one that we alluded to earlier on, actually, Lesnar ending the streak. I'm still waiting for that payoff of the uh, 1 in 21 and 1, being bested in order to cement a new top guy, but I don't think it'll ever happen now. Long term, ending the streak hasn't really done anything for anyone. Taker still beats everyone at Mania anyway, Lesnar just beats every, uh, everyone which he could have done it anyway, and nobody else gets a look in. It's not quite falling off a cliff, but any buzz it once had has definitely gone. Um, I don't know where he's coming from on this one. Well, yeah, I, I guess the... the idea, as we all know, was originally for Lesnar to end the streak, kill Daniel Bryan in spectacular fashion, and then lose to Roman to make him the new top guy by making Lesnar public enemy number one to all wrestling fans. Fell off a cliff when Cena is the guy that got pummeled and everybody loved it. <laughs> oops. When, when Roman Reigns doesn't get over and people live when Lesnar kills him. Oops. And then Seth becomes champion for what felt like 20 years. And, 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 and now Lesnar's just kind of milling around waiting to wrestle Shane McMahon at WrestleMania, apparently. So I can see the point of the idea of Lesnar being given this and, and it being such a huge moment is it getting to the, the peak of the cliff, I suppose, and then waiting for that next thing, the next part of the story, which never really comes. It's a tough one. It's a really, it's a really tough one because mm. I know he, he was really fucking great for a year. He was great for a long time. Um, I, I think it's tapered off this year. It's tapered off because they've been out of opponents. Well, yeah, him. exactly. If you don't fucking build challenges or for world titles or anyone, that's just obvious. Um... I wouldn't say it was necessarily. It, it, they got. I thought they got. They got life out of it. Is it still there now? No. Should it be? No, probably not really. You should segue on something else anyway. By now, but it's just. But some, they didn't. That's no. The well, yeah. yeah. But that's. Yeah. But that's. Uh, is that an effect of the whole thing? I mean, they, they, they turn your face. So you're supposed to forget about it when he goes face. There's time, and if you don't fucking have Lesnar on shows and, and have no opponents for him, that's going to happen. It's not that they've forgotten about the the, the streak ending, but it's. It's so sort of far down on the list mm. of priorities, if you like. I say it's like you've got. The, sorry, go on. No, it's so you've got. This is what I understand about this. This one is wheels are falling off. What exactly? The he was a hot. He was a hot commodity. He was a hot main event champion for ages. By the end of it, he'd gone face. Was it Rumble? He gone face. Pretty much. And then main event, obviously Roman. He was going to be. Yeah. And then people pop because of the shock and Roman not winning. But by the time you his face, surely okay. You mentioned the the, the street thing, but that, that that's 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 from the heel. That's run. that's that's probably where it fell off the cliff, though, right? Mm. Is is they they had their course they were going on. They had everything in the palm of their hand in terms of people really did not like Lesnar in the streak. Really didn't like Le- Lesnar in the streak. Really would not have liked Daniel Bryan getting murdered <laughs> like that by Brock Lesnar. They the guy they fucking they they adore getting just slaughtered like a jobber by Brock they would have despised it and then Roman who had some momentum at that time before the year uh, the wheels completely fell off that fucking that, 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 that wagon we said this we've talked about this yeah, we, thought, we, we thought the same thing was going to happen anyway just not that fast but uh, the thing I guess here when it comes to falling off a cliff was that was the direction it was along that direction and it fell off a cliff to now where I mean when you think about it we're building up to WrestleMania 33 the streak ending was almost three years ago and we're still waiting for that one yeah. definitive thing that Lesnar's going to put over the next guy because of that, which was the theory at the time. We, we could easily fall into the trap of 
putting too much stock into the the company's sense of floor plan. Like I say, Vince Vince lives week to week. We all know this, and the decision to end the streak was made what four hours before the show, something like that. Allegedly, we'll say it was the day of the show. So why should we assume? that they really had some grand plan for someone to sort of claim that win back on behalf of the fans. Why should we give the company any credit to think that they thought that far ahead if they're only deciding the day of the show that the streets actually going to end anyway? Um, and and whilst Lesnar, he wasn't fully fledged babyface in truth, but he was a, a sort of quasi babyface because of the fact that he'd killed Cena and because he was against Roman. They didn't, re- they didn't really make him a face. I don't think it was really until he's ranting and raving the next night at Raw, and he fives Michael Cole, who everyone hates anyway. <laughs> but but he's but he's being he's being treated <laughs> he, he's being treated more as a babyface in that regard, and, and and Heyman's not burying fans and talking about what a sort of nasty person that is. It's more about the the champion who who is really the legitimate champion and deserves to have his rematch right now. It's it's that's more sort of in. In tune with with a babyface type of stance and, and and promo, so by the time you do that, sort of going to your point, Kieran, once they've made that conscious decision to properly treat him as a babyface, it would be strange to me to hark on about the streak, because it's a it's a heel thing, and you've made the conscious effort after many that you don't want fans to to look at Lesnar in a negative light. So you sort of so you just ditch the streak or because you don't you don't want to remind fans Fuck of that. that. <laughs> yeah, they 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 absolutely they absolutely screwed the pooch. But but yeah, when, once you made the decision to go babyface with Lesnar, it it sort of it would seem counterintuitive to me to to then hark on about the streak and hence you end up in this sort of muddled position you are now, where they it's almost as if someone's just give them a nudge and reminded them they're sort of. Just deciding to drop it in and tease it here and there. <laughs> is it, or is this the fact that he's not on from you know months at a time? So when he every, they actually mention it every time he's on TV, he's just not on TV very often. I, I give credit to Heyman for that because Heyman mentions it frequently, and I think Heyman has more of a free reign over promos than most people do in the company. The commentators don't really talk about it much, do they? Sort of the the, the company shills, if you like, don't hark on about it. It's, I, I think so. I, I think that's more of a more of a sort of a hat tip to Heyman and, and his sort of more keen sense of how you should do things as opposed to any credit to the the company for trying to bring the, the street back into back into the, the forethought on to the next one here wiretap on the F4W board says Shane McMahon taking out Randy Orton and Legacy after Orton had punted Vince and won the Royal Rumble with some of the most destructive few minutes of WWE TV in the modern era Mr. E on the UK fan form says might be an odd choice but for me it's the Orton Triple H match prior to uh, WrestleMania 25 Orton had gone all badass with the new tattoos faction and attitude won the Royal Rumble and had Triple H in his sights the story progressed fantastically with Orton taking out Stephanie in the process by not just RKOing her but kissing, kissing her unconscious body in front of a restrained Triple H. At this point, it all had to 100% culminate with a solid victory from Orton at Mania, showing he's the man to beat going forward. Instead, what we got was Triple H demolishing him fairly decisively, and instantly ending all of the months of fantastic build-up they had with Orton. Uncle Zeb on the UK fan form says, It started with a punt to old man Vince that felt like an awakening, a sit-up-and-take-notice, epoch-defining moment that would make Orton the next red-hot star at last. The DDT and kiss to Stephanie while her husband was forced to watch continued the ascent. 
Then Super Shane happened, and it all came crashing down in an instant. Rather than a climactic affirmation, a win at WrestleMania would have merely salvaged things for Orton. And uh, Suki Singh on the Facebook page says, From what I remember, it was going pretty well from when Orton kicked Vince in the head, won the Rumble, and then DDT'd Stephanie. Then Shane got involved. I love Shane McMahon, I really do. But watching Orton selling those stupid, goofy, rope-a-dope punches was strike one against this feud. Reheating it with the home invasion was cheesy as hell, but I enjoyed it because it was different. Strike two and three were both one horrible incident. Orton Rhodes and DBRC are doing their shtick in the ring. Triple H's music hits, which is fine, he's facing Mania on Sunday. Then Shane's music hits. Then Vince's music hits. Then they roll up their sleeves. <laughs> strike two. Then they proceed to beat the piss out of OC. Strike three. When you have a few that started out so hot only a few months prior with, with the heel of all heels punting the boss in the head, to have him castrated in three months is unforgivable. I'm not even counting the abomination that was the main event of WrestleMania 25, which was strike two out of three in dour Triple H Mania main events, but that's a story for another podcast. Love the show, guys. Thank you very much. Uh, I, I think he's absolutely right with that stance. I think by the time you get to Mania with this one, it, it's it's whether or not you can sort of dodge a bullet, if you like. You know, it's a stay of execution for him by that point. I think the damage has, has already been done to such an extent. I mean, I, I I wasn't even particularly keen on him being aligned with Rhodes and DiBiase personally. No. I wasn't a big fan of Legacy. Um, I must admit. Um, it's the it's the Shane involvement, isn't it? And even and, and like a common denominator. Yeah, and, and like I said before, it, it's this notion of when Vince and Shane are allowed to do things to wrestlers that other wrestlers on the roster can't get away with. It just infuriates me. Oh, wait till Comple- wait. <laughs> completely takes me out, out of the the moment. Don't start talking about mania. I was going to say, I take this thing three sixty from I'm, the last I'm, last I'm, one point of discussion. Yeah, wait for him to beat the shit out of Brock. He's going to strap I, the shit out I of him, don't Carl. Even... I reckon Brock will sell for Shane. Fucking, yeah, because he'll be thinking of money. <laughs> I was going to say, he's going to get such a great payoff. Boom, or one million. Or he's, Boom. Or he's, he's going to demand such a great payoff for it. Um, Unless he launches Shane. I was going to say, the only time I want to... the stadium. See, that's the only point at which I want to see Shane go coast to coast at any stage during that match. Literally, <laughs> yeah. Um... Cool. Oh, I'm to sell for those fucking punches. It's all right. It's, it's not. It's, it's going to be brawn instead, so don't worry about it. <laughs> that's, that's, that's bad for different reasons. But. Do you remember the setup where the whole thing was that uh, Orton kicks Vince in the head, but they haven't made a decision on what they're going to do with him, and the Royal Rumble's this Sunday, so he's in the Rumble and he just so happens to win the Rumble. Oh. Great. The next day on Raw, what are we going to do with Orton? Yeah, it's the big decision. Orton says, "If you, I've got a medical condition, IED. If you recall this, if you if you fire me, then uh, I can sue you. I'll, I'll cancel WrestleMania." And then all the wrestlers come out on the stage because they're pissed off that Randy Orton might cancel WrestleMania, right? Heels and faces alike. And then Stephanie says, "No, we're not going to fire you, Shane. We've got bigger plans." And then here comes the money, <laughs> and Shane McMahon comes out and beats the fuck out of all three of them, just like Muhammad Imad Bruce Lee that he is. <laughs> And that was where this just was like, and Orton couldn't keep up with Shane's awful punches, and it was like just, you say, he couldn't he couldn't sell quickly enough to fall into the next punch. No, and it's he's looking at your hands up in the air like, what the fuck was that? Even with the DDT to Steph and and, and the the sort of kiss on the unconscious body whilst the husband looks on which was after the Shane stuff, which by the which, way. which is a lot of people was it? This, yeah. A lot of people got this timeline wrong. They, 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 the RKO'd Steph 
after he beat up yeah. Shane and they, 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 they fucking they screwed it up so badly and obviously that's the impetus for Triple H to get involved and um, they, they'd lost so much steam after with the home invasion or the horse that afterwards. was fucking atrocious yeah that needs to be mentioned as a, as a fucking real nadir for this feud because I thought that was awful I thought yeah just trying to get this into into uh, sequential order it's kind of interesting when because that yeah the, the home invasion the punt was excellent then yeah uh, home Invasion was fucking atrocious and then Shane yeah and then yeah, Shane was before the RKO Steph the Home Invasion comes they fucked the, they, like, there was so much steam with the Home Invasion and the aftermath that that's when he had to DDT Steph and kiss her to get some heat back oh, okay. and then of course next week as was mentioned there Vincent and Shane come back all hard I think that, therein lies the problem with, with the feud it's almost like a sense of or and those good moments he's allowed to have are great are, are great but out, but other than the punt to, to kick things off um, your paper ham sandwich <laughs> oh, to uh, he's only allowed to get these good moments generally because of the shit that's going to follow you know even when he gets the, the DDT and, and the kiss and it, it, we've been through so many sort of peaks and troughs by that point he's only allowed to get that heat because he's getting killed at Mania. How many times can one guy have his heat taken off him in the build to a match? Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then three times. The end. Yeah, yeah. Does, by that point, gives a fuck. So three times he's paid yeah. off his heat, and and, and, and each time it's, again it's that law of diminishing returns, isn't it? Once you get it, you know the the punt is the big thing, but then once you sort of almost like a you know a big fucking redwood tree or something, you, you know you chop away at it, you, you try and salvage it. You chop away at it again. Leave Ernie you, out of this. Yeah, nothing to do with Ernie. But you, you know, you're trying to keep the tree up. You've got reinforcements. But then by the time you get to Mania, you finally cut the damn thing down. Yeah. yeah and it, just it, listen to that red hot crowd for that main event yeah, match at WrestleMania. Not, by the way, if a, if a tree falls down <laughs> in the forest and no one's around to hear it, does it make a sound? <laughs> Probably not. And that crowd didn't either. Yeah. Absolutely not. Moving on to another one here with a bit of a Shane O'Mac involvement. Oh, good God. Smelly Meatball on the TPWW forum says, The Invasion, even though WCW didn't have all their big stars and quickly devolved into another McMahon family struggle, uh, felt the story itself was still salvageable until Austin turned on the WWE. Made the alliance look even weaker since they were now being led by WWE guys and Angle and Austin, and the story itself shifted to being uh, about Austin versus Vince again for the main focus. Also didn't help the group uh, look like a bigger joke once Angle suddenly double-crossed them during the definitive match of the feud. And a crocodile on the F4W board says having Shane come out on Nitro is one of the greatest moments in Raw history building up the invasion with babyface Shane at the helm was fantastic I still remember the crowd going crazy when Shane hit the Van Terminator on Vincent Mania Paul Heyman then bringing ECW in the mix was with an all time great promo about the tribe of extreme flanked by stars like Van Damme and Dreamer was the height of the angle and just an hour after Heyman's promo Steph came out the alliance was born and the angle was dead as Vince once uh, again tried to make everything about WWF relegating Heyman to a yes man they'd later drive it into everyone's heads of just how much about WWF it was by bringing Austin and Angle to the Alliance team not bothering to spend money signing any of the top guys like Steiner or Goldberg and the storyline ended with a whimper we've done an entire show on the Invasion Angle and why it's doomed to fail episode 17 squaredcirclegazette.com feel free to uh, check that one out for a very in-depth analysis about why that was uh, that whole angle was fucked from the start but uh, just very quickly lads choke points for you on this angle the, the moment when you, re- when you kind of gave up on the on the uh, on the WCW invasion, was it the Steph thing or was it earlier? It's it's pro- it's pro- it's yeah it's probably the, it's the Steph thing and the alliance is, is where it's it's almost a, a two a two part thing for me in the sense of 
it, it was it was kind of struggling a little bit out of the gate. That the Heyman, the, the, it has the odd the odd moment like like the MSG show where you have Booker Axe kick Vince and that sort of thing. You know, you've got a couple of run-ins which are interesting, but you get that you get the Heyman involvement and that sort of really lights for me really lights a spark. And you think, oh, oh, this this has just got a bit interesting. And then, like you say, by the time you get to the end of Raw. And it's the alliance, and I, I, I had difficulty taking off my sort of smart mark hat at the time. ECW, WCW as an alliance. Heyman always talked about how he hated that, and this, this just doesn't feel right. And Stephanie's out now, and oh, good God, I still had a bit of intrigue going into Invasion, and then Austin turns, and for me at that point, I'm done. I'm done at that point. Yeah, less less needs to be said about the time you get to SummerSlam, and in the two feature matches, it's three WWF guys <laughs> and one WCW guy in Booker T, and the only guy who does the job is Booker. <laughs> <laughs> said it before, I'll say it again. SummerSlam 2001, the Empire Strikes Back. <laughs> um, yeah, that's for me. That's like, I guess it's not, but it's two different things. The first WCW thing, okay, it died straight away. Basically. Miserably straight away. As soon as they decided on these are the guys we're going with, that concept was fucking dead. Yeah. Um, so the second go around, yeah, it was actually quite. It was interesting when Heyman did his, his shtick, and it was like, okay, it's like the punk thing. We got this is something that you can't manufacture and do believably. The first time around, it was fucking open season. They could have done whatever they wanted yeah. to. They didn't invest, and it died. Second time around, okay, we're just making an angle out of it. We need to stretch this out because we planned to originally anyway. And they bring in Paulie, and he's really fucking good. So it, it seems like, oh, okay, we're going in the direction. It's at least interesting again. It's gone from this grandiose thing that, how is it going to end up? Is it going to be two shows or all these these fancy ideas? Now it's just a pro wrestling angle, but it's still really good. And then by the end of the show, it's okay, okay, it's a McMahon angle. Yeah. Didn't like it at WrestleMania 2000 when you had a McMahon in each corner. And it should have been a Rock's Cranny moment. And I don't like it now. <laughs> <laughs> so two, two, uh, two cliffs fallen off with the same thing which is some going I guess yeah mm. uh, Phoenix20191 on the FOW board says when Seth Phoenix turned Thorn. on uh, no not Phoenix Thorne oh, Phoenix20191 on the FOW board says when Seth turned on the shield everyone was ready for Dean and Roman to destroy this man Dean became what would be the PG family friendly version of Stone Cold Steve Austin when Dean finally was able to get his hands on him at Money in the Bank and he was taken out of the match Ambrose legit had the entire audience <laughs> chanting his name begging him to come back and just beat Seth down when he came back the crowd lost it then Kane happened. So the storyline was kind of a letdown until Dean flat out said, when you cash in, I'm going to ruin your chance. Dean got injured in kayfabe via the curb stump on cement blocks. Dean then faced Seth in the match for the title and actually won but got the dusty finish. Again, taking away the fan satisfaction of Dean triumphing. Then it happened. Dean finally got Seth in the cell. Nowhere to run. <laughs> Dean legit said, we're all going to die tonight and tried to make good on his word by trying to kill Seth even if it meant he was going to die with him. When he's finally about to get his revenge on Seth by doing the same thing that injured him on cement blocks, Darkness. The woman in the dust coming from the lantern and Bray Wyatt in the ring. <laughs> After that, the booking of Dean was just ridiculous with the crying and having to fight Bray. The TV blowing up in Dean's face did him no favours. <laughs> Granted, Dean cashing in on Seth was great and felt great to see him finally get his revenge, but the booking up to that point, I just don't know why. I'm sure he's had about five full starts before then as well. Yeah, I mean. yeah, he had done. And... I think we're kind of living the proof of, of where we're at now with this uh, this cliff dive, unfortunately, with Dean. Yeah, this this kind of just, that example there is the epitome of Dean Ambrose babyface singles run. 
I don't feel there's much more that needs to be said it, it's the guy that nev- never won the blow off match till he cashed in and by that point he had that much damage done to him The only people th- didn't care that much the only real few that I remember getting the blow off winning is Jericho mm. as a singles guy I can't I mean, I'm, I'm, there might be another one but I'm forgetting it it's like he's Wyatt, Rollins, what's Lesnar it, Wyatt's, Wyatt is the setup guy for the stars Ambrose is like the setup guy for Wyatt to set up the stars. <laughs> yeah, we, we've wound up to the point where we've now got Zany Dean Ambrose. And there you go. So bad, in fact, that they could probably put the shield back together. In fact, they probably will do. We'll get the tease, obviously. No one's going to give a shit. They're going to get booed. Well, it, I mean, it's, <laughs> it's fucking wrong. That is wrong. This, despite <laughs> despite what some people said about the the tease on Raw the other week, that yes chant was rather apathetic. Yeah, it wasn't yes. exactly. Yeah, yes. they, they weren't exactly you know screaming from the rooftops, were they? It wasn't exactly Wyatt and uh, Brian in the cage, is what you're saying. Exactly. All right. Well, they, they were booing Roman two minutes earlier. Why are they going to? Yeah. I know. I'm just. I'm, I'm just. I'm just. I'm just saying their reaction gives gives sort of credence to the, the point you're making that when they do finally unite them again, the company's probably going to be expecting this great. Reaction is just going to go off like a fart in a church. <laughs> who knows? Who knows? Carl on Pro Wrestling Only says Rick Martel versus Tito Santana still irks me to this day. We never got to see this in all of its glory across TV and pay per view. The point it fizzled out was the beginning. It could have been super hot and they did almost nothing with it. Again, another one that kind of fits in that category before of this was a house show feud for about a year, <laughs> it seemed like. They did do some stuff on TV. Oh, SummerSlam 89 has the great six man tag with the Rockers and the Rougeos involved as well. But uh, yeah, Martel and uh, Santana for the breakup of. Uh, your favourite tag team car, girls and cars and all oh, that. Well, they, they struck with such force. <laughs> they did indeed. Yeah, so again, uh, I think this kind of fits in that previous category. Um, Dastardly Dale Newstead on TBWW forum says, Owen Hart versus Steve Austin could have been a few that went on for years and years. Owen was so good at being a little shithead and an agitator. He didn't need to be a legit main eventer, but much like he was to Brett, he could have always been a thorn in Austin's side. They played off very well together. Owen somehow always came across as not afraid of Austin and ready to take him on in the ring, while still being a complete and utter chicken shit. Everyone always knew that Owen had the technical skills to back up the talk. Uh, the SummerSlam match was awesome until the infamous pile driver. Uh, and it was almost a metaphor for how the feud fizzled out. They did what they had to do and they moved on. If Owen handled the situation better, those two could have been married to each other for a lot longer than they were. Well, I respectfully <laughs> disagree there. Um, though that SummerSlam match is... I watched it relatively recently. It's far better than I remembered up to where things go wrong. It, it was a, a very entertaining match. I think he's, he's not wrong about Owen's sort of character traits now. He plays off, how he pulls off the chicken shit element so well he did that throughout his career but you know once the pile driver happens Austin's limited in what he can do any anyway because he's still injured hence such a short match at Survivor Series and even if that weren't the case to me I, I, no disrespect to Owen Austin's above that Owen, Owen is just a stepping stone along the way and I don't think at any point afterwards he should be taking up Steve Austin's time. <laughs> well, no, well, let's face no, it, by, by, by the turn of the year he's interacting with Mike Tyson he's on the road to Mania. Where does Owen fit into any of this equation? Yeah, I guess so. 
Uh, Noid on TPWW forum says, I was pretty excited for Wade Barrett versus The Undertaker at WrestleMania. I mean, after the Nexus attacked The Undertaker at bragging rights and helped Kane win buried alive, that had to be where they were heading, right? Barrett was a good talker with some size to him, and had the biggest part of the hottest angle in quite some time. And here they were giving the young lion a shot against the old dragon, an opportunity to mix... <laughs> An opportunity to mix metaphors on the grandest daddy of them all. <laughs> uh, Barrett probably would have been lost if he got that match against Taker, but the threat of the Nexus being on hand to aid Barrett could have added some legitimate drama. It's rare that I would have been able to say I had something resembling emotional investment in an Undertaker match. Uh, we might have been forced to see Barrett as an emerging full-time main event star, but what did we actually get? The plan. The same. The king of status quo. The cerebral asswipe. <laughs> I had zero interest in Taker and Trips at Mania. Okay, I get it. Taker beat his buddy and now there's alleged drama in Triple H going after what Shawn Michaels couldn't do. But it hurt feelings I didn't know I had when they compared Triple H to Shawn Michaels. <laughs> it was like an insult to my intelligence that didn't make any sense. Like if somebody called you a slutty, virgin, cock-sucking, frigid, no-cock wanker in school. But of course, you can't deviate from the plan. <laughs> So going back to where we started, Wade and uh, Taker, which was like the angle they did at, like, yeah, like I said there, bragging rights in the Buried Alive match, never mentioned again. Never mentioned again anywhere. The end of that awful feud with Kane and Undertaker with the vegetative state. Do you remember that? Paul Bearer returned at one point. Let's move on. <laughs> <laughs> Quickly. Again, I feel maybe trying to bait one of us, perhaps. Big Vic on TPWW form says, The rebirth of ECW, the concept was quite grand. The one-night stand pay-per-view was awesome, but they fumbled the ball right out the gate. Tommy Dreamer should have been awarded the ECW title, not Bob Van Damme. You could then have a champion versus champion of vengeance where Dreamer goes over and becomes a dual WWE ECW champion. <laughs> Big Vic is just... No, if nothing, if not persistent with the Big dreamer. <laughs> How do we know that Big Vic isn't actually Tommy Dreamer? I mean, let's, let's face it. He'd be bigger Vic. Matt Pat 11 on the F4W board says Daniel Bryan versus The Authority. I'm probably in the vast minority here, but I thought the story from SummerSlam to the Survivor Series and then from the night after Elimination Chamber through Mania was solid. Bryan gets screwed, proves he can beat Orton before Triple H strips him for no reason, etc., etc. But there were some problems. At one point early on, I think he was laid out seven or nine shows in a row or something like that, which is just too much. Even when building a new top heel stable, you have to give him some hope. The period between Night of Champions and Hell in a Cell was a bit muddled because of Battleground. I sort of get what they were going for. They wanted a reason for Hell in a Cell and the special ref, which is why they had that horrible, remember that Big Show fucking run-in? It was like Orton versus Daniel Bryan on pay-per-view and it just anyone Big Show knocked everyone out. And that was it. Yeah, it was fucking turd. Uh, he says uh, it wouldn't have been the worst idea for Big Show to have a run and carried an interfering Stephanie away at WrestleMania, but Sean really should have intentionally screwed Brian. The wishy-washy shit didn't work that they did in Hell in a Cell. Uh, you could have always turned him back by Mania. It's almost always a bad idea to put wrestling fans on TV, but that big fat guy in the front with the ill-fitting t-shirt is still my lasting memory of Occupy Raw. Uh, but the bones of the story were fine until things went completely off the rails after Survivor Series, which was because they had no designs for Daniel Bryan to get that spot so I was going to say that this is the pro I, I, I don't really agree with the idea that um, he had particularly many good moments between SummerSlam and, and what, what show did you say Survivor Series between SummerSlam and Survivor Series he's, they're not he's not really given any proper focus it, it's a bit like the Orton running uh, with, with Triple H in the sense of he gets these these sort of these good moments and crowd reactions but they're not he only gets them in part because of how badly the companies have treated him prior to that so they've got to do a bit of rehabilitation work 
And if if it's not part of the rehabilitation work, it's just because the fans are, are voicing a, a, a sense of anger in the way things are going. And the company have got no designs for him, so I don't. I feel I feel it's hard to say it really fell off a cliff there because it it's not as if they they had momentum and in in the sense of it's not as if they had momentum and they had a plan going forward with with Brian. It's not like it's a storyline that fell off a cliff. It was very much how they intended it. They didn't want Brian to be a factor. No. So it played out exactly how they wanted. Uh, Dean Coles, 1987 at Pro Wrestling Only, says, uh, Lex Luger versus the NWO slash Hogan in 97. You had Luger, the guy who had turned so many times over the years and had shown no trust in his loyal best friend Sting, finally stepping up as a leader for WCW and attempting to redeem himself by fighting the NWO. He was the first WCW guy to beat an NWO member on pay-per-view, Jericho and Nick Patrick doesn't count, and he was the first WCW guy to trust the Giants again. No joke, Giants stayed loyal until that crazy period in 98 when everyone turned. Luger beats Hogan on the Nitro in a non-title match, beats him at the Bash of the Beach 97 tag, and then wins the title on Nitro 100 to finally become the man, and the entire WCW roster comes out to celebrate with him in a great moment, unless you're Dean Malenko wanting a high five. <laughs> five days later, he loses it back, and not one of those selfish bastards from the celebration interfere, not even the Giants, who was presumably exhausted after his five-minute match with Randy Savage. I know he couldn't have had the long run with the title as Hogan had two pay-per-view matches with Piper and Sting coming up that drew huge business. But couldn't we have had at least a full brawl on Nitro in September match for Hogan to get the belt back? A successful title defense against Hogan on pay-per-view would have been a first and something that might have actually saved us from Luger and the Wolfpack wearing those shitty black jeans and FUBU jerseys trying to act cool behind Nash and Conan. <laughs> oh. Yeah, this was, this was great. We talked about this on the Monday Night War timeline about how Luger had real momentum. And the, that fucking, when he wins the belt, that's one of my favourite moments in Nitro history when the guys piss in their pants and Luger jumps across the ring, the most athletic thing I've ever seen him do in his life in celebration. Milenko getting the, uh, the, the cold shawl has always been a personal favourite moment of mine. Drop ball. But in the sense that the long range vision was Sting and Hogan, which also got a nomination here, by the way, for, uh, for a moment where things fell off the cliff. I can kind of see why it had to fall off a cliff because if, if, if the goal wasn't Luger, if the goal was the big money match with Hogan and Sting, you've then why do it? You've got well, it did work. It didn't take. I don't think it detracted. And it did do something for Luger. Now, having said that, when they took the belt off Luger so quick, as we talked about in the timeline, his numbers in the aftermath were awful. Well, I think that that's the point. If you they know where they they knew where they're going, so they knew yeah. they had to get it on quickly. So. It's not just the shortlist. It's only going to be there for so long. No, lack of foresight. No, Bruce. Yeah, I, I think the the problem is even if you um, even if you let Luger have the belt a bit longer, you're effectively playing hot potato for for, for Hogan to win it back. Maybe not not at Road World, but at the following month. He's winning it back quickly. And at what point are you at there on the calendar? You're, that was you're, August. You're looking at sep- you, you know, you, you're at September. So you've already had Hogan drop the belt to a WCW guy and reclaim it, to then just drop it to Sting two months later again, or three months later again. It's, you know, it, it's too much hot potato with, 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 the, with the belt. It did give a bit of an impetus to Luger at the time, but I, I think knowing what the long-term goal was. As much as they balls that one up, <laughs> coming out of Starcade, but knowing what the long-term goal is, and Sting being the guy to finally wrestle it away from Hogan, the issue I have is more the fact that Luger won it in the first place. Yeah, and I don't, I don't mean that as a knock on Luger. God knows I've taken plenty of shots at Luger over the course of podcasts. I don't mean it as a knock on him, but knowing what the goal was, 
you you just shouldn't you shouldn't have done it. Yeah, totally agree. I just why 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 why? They you, did it you, as a hot shot. Honestly, I mean they were building. Well, yeah, they we did know, it as a hot shot. We talked about it on the timeline. It was it was going head to head with the first Raw in the new time slot. So they really wanted something major, that, and, and they they conditioned people to think Luger can beat Hogan. And if and if you tune in to see it, we're going to deliver something big. And it was always. It was a one-week run, you know. It was always designed to be that 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 little stopgap, just for the ratings ploy. Very short-sighted, and in the long term, like we said, it, it did nothing for Luger really I just, in the long run. How you why you'd even conceive of doing that when you've allegedly got this long-term plan of doing Sting and Hogan at Stark? It's, that boggles my mind. Mm. You, it's not as if it bought you a lorry load of extra money in. Bearing in mind the fact that where they do the title, where they do the titles, which again at Roadwild is a free house. <laughs> <laughs> which, which, which is which, 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 which is one of the one of the things that bothers me. It, it's right up there. It's really up there for things that bother me because of these free pay per views and fucking sturges. Um, so, so it, it's not getting you a lorry load of money in the first instance for the for the second title switch, and it's not as if you need to do the first title switch on TV anyway to win the night. You're winning regularly throughout this period anyway. What you could have done is just end the show with a Luger Hogan confrontation that has Luger put Hogan in the Hogan in the rack. You know, so you go you still maintain that idea of he's beat him in a non title, he beat him at Bash at the Beach, he's got him in the rack, you know, and just imagine Shivani screaming and hyperventilating, Imagine what he's gonna do on Sunday if he gets him in the rack You know. <laughs> you've, you've, built, you've built it there and you probably you know not probably I'm, I'm quite confident you still win the night yeah because you're you're the hot company with the momentum so you you can still have Luger look strong without pissing about with the belt yeah, yeah. this rating things yeah sorry but no one is going to know rating isn't going to be affected by him winning was that, the, was that the main event yes so it was the last thing people saw okay so no one tuned in because Luger was winning no one knew he was winning no, but the, the so title, he didn't have to have him win the title match no he didn't have to win but the thing is, anything. Since, since they were so smart to do this, six days before the pay-per-view where they were, ha- they were headlining with the same match, they had to have the face win so the heel could get it back. Did they? Yeah. Okay. Well, that's what you have to do. It's WCW, Kieran. FNXJ on Pro Wrestling Only will wrap us up here on the feedback, saying, WWE debuting a hit angle on Raw around the summer months, then having no idea how to follow up on it has been pretty common. 2007, the cool Vince limo explosion that got dropped for the shit sun storyline. Hang on, that was good. Do you know Benoit died? Ben, Benoit, uh, yeah. Benoit killed that angle. Uh, 2008 McMahon's millions that went nowhere <laughs> and the cool regal authority uh, figure angle that also got dropped 2010 Nexus 2011 The Pipe Bomb 2012 Lesnar returns to massive excitement then loses to Cena and is stuck into a Triple H feud that no one wanted 2014 The Botch Daniel Bryan reign 2015 The Botch Seth Rollins reign and The Divas Revolution <coughs> so uh, yeah that's a, it, it is a recurring theme and on that note I think it's a, a good one to wrap up uh, on lads very quickly around the table when I, you, I'm sure you had one that jumped to mind immediately. You mentioned the, uh, the CM Punk one earlier on. If there was one that, that comes to you as the ultimate feud that you think of, God, maybe more than any other one, that's the one that really fell off a cliff, had such potential, was going so well, and then and then and then just tanked. Is it the Punk one? Which one is it? Yeah, you? Little Phil. That's still number one for me because he let he let everyone down. The one hasn't been mentioned, and it's it, I would like to mention it was the. James Storm going for the title. Oh yeah, that's a good one. Uh, was it Bobby Roode the champ? Bobby Roode's champ. And they built it up as the payoff. 
was going to be was it Cage or something in lockdown and he fucking lost he lost he, kicked, he super kicked him out the cage and Bobby Roode won he fucking lost and <laughs> and he was his momentum was dead because you've got to win at the right time yeah um, so that wasn't that's, that sounds like just for pure booking little Phil little Phil getting too eager to come back from Comic Con the invasion angle not, not. It's hard to top that, really. Isn't it? Not, not because it got off to such a roaring start. Because I've, as we've said, it didn't really. Outside of the simulcast, it's you know, it doesn't come, you know, it doesn't fire out the blocks. Um, Quick on that but, one. Did, did, Shane, did Shane being the WCW boss? Did that sour it at all for you? Did for me? Yeah, for me too. It, it wasn't great in retrospect, but as something to just grab you. As a pussy. <laughs> There's something to get your attention. There, it, it didn't have genuine momentum in terms of what they did on TV, like I say, until they got to the Hamer. But, <laughs> but <laughs> it was, the first, was it Storm was the first one? Yeah, Storm, Storm was the first guy to run it. Morris was the second one who hell. fucked up the moon because he missed. Basically, you were. Well, fair play. It didn't get off to the best of starts, but <clears> ju- <throat> but just in the sense of what I hoped for when 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 they were sort of. Giving this idea of an invasion, oh, this this could be really interesting. You know, I'm getting you know, and, and being younger as I was at the time, genuinely excited. It's a bit of a drip feed start. They give it a bit of a boost. You know, it's, it's almost like you got the heart resuscitated on the go. You, it's still you've alive. Got, you've got you've got the paddles. You've got the paddles. You've given it a shock. Here's ECW. An hour later, Stephanie's out and they're flatlined. But just in, in terms of something that I was unreasonably excited and optimistic about just because of the notion of an invasion, for the way it panned out <laughs> and died so quickly and so horribly, I, I, think, <laughs> it's, it's, I, think, I think that one has to be the, the top of the list for me. I think it's the episode of The Simpsons when Homer does the, 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 the dive over the cliff and then just fucking falls down. They put him in the ambulance, the ambulance crashes into a tree, and then Homer just slides back down the cliff and hits everything on the way down. That's yeah. the invasion angle. I think, I, I'm not sure if I've ever seen an angle so spectacularly <laughs> fucked up that had genuine money-making potential. And that's the thing with the punk one. We love the punk thing, but there was never a sign that it was really going yeah, above man. and beyond it, as much as we wanted to, and as much as it did get some outside press from, like, I remember the, the, you know, Bill Simmons doing a, a piece on Punk. That was the oh, thing, but, but fuck Bill Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing, that it, it, by returning after eight days, that you never had the chance to no, go on no. this, this is something... It, again, these two things, they're, some, they're once in a lifetime, once in a career in terms of the, the angle of Punk, and the, obviously the, the buyout, the invasion, was once in, a, in everyone's lifetime. And they just devolved so quickly into... They're just parts of the show just yeah they just sh- shit shovel on top of them and it means nothing and it's just part of everything who gives a fuck oh look there's Shane and Vince and they're playing around okay cool <laughs> and then oh, we know. make movies yeah <laughs> <laughs> we make movies Kieran I'm gonna make it I'm gonna make it this is the greatest <laughs> and with that said we are unfortunately out of time for this week uh, thank you very much for all the feedback actually Welcome. I was going to say the, the one for mine I, did, I didn't get to mention but a few people did write in Andy Howard Suplex Sinner and uh, Swans Kid 95 did mention the uh, who is Vince's son 
angle where it was supposed to be Kennedy and then it ended up being like Hornswoggle and then the whole thing just fucked up and ended up with JBL and Finley at, after all the TV time it got JBL and Finley at WrestleMania so that was, that was a good nod but I can't I can't go against the invasion the invasion has to take the, the, the biscuit by quite some margin I think we will be back here with Squared Circle Gazette Radio next week once again as we said the Monday Night War timeline is, uh, is on the docket we're going to be talking every Raw every Nitro all the uh, antics in uh, WF and WCW from November of 1998 with notes from the Wrestling Observer Newsletter at the time we're going to be talking about the deadly game tournament that crowns a new WF champion uh, with crazy backstage politics in both companies going on and Hulk Hogan running for presidency which no longer seems ridiculous <laughs> all this time later so on that note I want to thank everybody for listening and everybody for contributing for Kieran O'Rourke remember folks 3 minutes 47 seconds of the first round left hand corner KO for Carl Jones I really hope this lead painting can cause a problem in a confined space. I am Lee Moonwalk and we are out of here. Talk to you next week. The cult of personality The cult of personality